Hey, you guys, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Monday, May 2nd. It's Mailbox Monday. And today I'm going to hit rapid fire through your questions. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So I hope you guys are doing good today. Uh, I spend, typically I spend Mondays answering your questions. We've been doing this for a whole long time. I've got a lot of you who are brand new to the podcast. And here is how you submit a question. You just go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. And that is where you can fill out a form. A couple of things, and I do this little housekeeping about every once in a while. But if you've never submitted a question before, the surest way to not get your question answered on the air is to make it too long. So keep it short and sweet and to the point. And you want to make sure that your question is uh, a question that you think other people might have also. Also, for those of you who are watching this on video, you will notice that I'm wearing my new shirt. I tested positive for freedom. This shirt is uh, obviously a statement shirt. You guys know I love statement shirts, but also it helps me with my run for the U.S. House of Representatives. If you want more information about how you can get this shirt, just go to Heidi St. John for Congress. All right, let's jump right in. Stephanie in Nebraska emailed me a bunch of Disney alternatives, and I'm going to read them to you. She said, Heidi, a Disney vacation alternative is Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. I agree, Stephanie. We've been there a couple of times with our kids. She said it's a wonderful, award-winning theme park full of Christ-centered, family-friendly entertainment. The city of Branson is full of options for families seeking such an environment for their vacation. So you guys know I'm trying to help you find Disney alternatives. If you have one you'd like me to list, just shoot it to me, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. All right, I think I answered this question last week, but we had a sort of follow-up question, so I'm gonna address it again. Jennifer in Indiana wants to volunteer for a campaign, but her husband thinks the country is a lost cause. She said, I wanna support strong Christian conservatives running in the primary for my state house district. I want to volunteer and help pass out door hangers My husband questions my desire to help this gentleman's campaign because he thinks our country is a lost cause and it's so corrupt and we as believers already know the outcome of this depraved world. So how do I respond letting him know that our effort that we make on this earth matters and is very important? So you guys have heard me say this a whole bunch of times before. The surest way to lose a fight is not to show up to fight in the first place. It's just to get off the field. And while I appreciate uh, people who come to me and say, hey, the Lord's gonna return, the rapture's coming, uh, and, uh, and you know, all the things. To me, it's just an excuse to stay off the field. We don't know when uh, the Lord is gonna return. The Bible says that we know the, uh, the seasons, and certainly there are a lot of indicators, but we don't know if it's five years from now, five months from now, five days from now, five decades from now. We don't know. And so what we know for sure is that Jesus called us to take responsibility for our lives and how we live them. He said that we were supposed to uh, to take dominion over the earth. And how do we do that if we're not getting into the world and taking our Christian witness with us? And so I completely disagree with your husband, as you totally uh, knew I was going to say. A lot of people think that the country is a lost cause. And it's one of the reasons I'm running for Congress. I don't want people to be so discouraged that they disengage. And a lot of what we've seen in the Christian community over the last several decades is a continuation of one discouragement after another. And so people finally just said, ah, we give up. And Christians cede the territory. So I'm gonna encourage you, don't cede the territory. Stay in there. Our country is worth fighting for and it's worth engaging in. This is a constitutional republic and we have to fight to keep it. Jackie in Ohio, 
said, Heidi, I've recently started listening to your podcast and I'm loving it. Thank you, Jackie. Welcome. I also love that you are encouraging parents to homeschool. I want to share a program with you that equips parents to homeschool all the way through high school. We've been part of it for seven years, and this is Classical Conversations. Kids and moms get weekly encouragement, accountability, and community. The program is amazing, uh, teaching kids how to know God and make him known. So many parents don't feel like they can homeschool, but CC is showing many that they can. Thank you for all you're doing for the country. Uh, So Jackie, we've had people on the show a bunch of times that have talked about Classical Conversations. You know, I'm a huge supporter. My friend Sam Sorbo is a big part of CC. We chose not to do it with our family. Uh, I chose to homeschool independently. The Homeschool Resource Center also does a variety of things. We don't follow a particular program, but I have heard about a lot of success through Classical Conversations. So thanks for writing in. Anonymous in Florida, Heidi, what is your opinion about 4-H? We are actively involved, but recently noticed a shift is happening, and now we're looking for an alternative. So I'm going to answer your question, but before I do that, I want to say if there's anyone listening to this who has an alternative to 4-H, I would like to hear it. Just like I'm giving you alternatives to the Boy Scouts and to the Girl Scouts, I think it's time for an alternative to 4-H. Last year, in 2021, Uh, the 4-H community decided to celebrate Pride Month. And in so doing, I'm pretty sure that they alienated a whole bunch of their participants. So 4-H definitely going woke, no question about it. Uh, Harriet Rigby on Twitter said 4-H has long been a staple in rural schools and communities. They started as a tomato club. And now more than 100 years later, the majority of participants are still in rural agricultural communities. And in case you didn't notice, agricultural communities are con- completely uh, conservative, not exactly the rainbow flag waving types. But despite that, 4-H has changed their profile picture on Facebook in June, replacing the traditional green clover with the 4-H's in a rainbow clo- clover. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with 4-H, uh, it stands for head, heart, hands, and health. And But in perhaps in this case, we should say head, heart, hands, and hedonism. (laughs) That's kind of what it's starting to look like. And the commentaries on Facebook are not happy. 4-H is a program for children, by the way. And sexuality shouldn't be a central focus of an organization that's historically taught things like agriculture, cooking, and civic engagement. It's just another example of the woke uh, mobs attack on our children, attacking 4-H. Shame on 4-H for letting them do that to you. It really is disappointing. And I'm going to link back to a couple of... um, articles. The Iowa Standard had one called 4-H is Woke. They are featuring radical Black Lives Matter organizations. They've put, uh, they are berating the police. Here's another headline, Woke 4-H featuring radical BLM supporting anti-police high school students as, quote, students leaders for Power of Us Youth Summit. So these are things we want to be careful about and be watching for. Absolutely. Uh, the summit is open to students who attend high school this fall, but they're talking about 4-H basically getting into the woke culture war. So I think it's time to find a replacement for 4-H. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to hear from a bunch of you who are going to have some good ideas. So you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday and shoot those over to me because I really want to hear them. All right. Next question comes from Tanya in Minnesota. This is a response to an episode that I put out on the Ukraine She said, Heidi, I want to thank you for airing this podcast. I have personal ties to both Ukraine and Russia. I lived in Russia. 
I have many friends who do ministry in Ukraine. It is completely wrong to simply pray for Ukraine alone. There are many, many Russians who are being persecuted, living through trials, and are innocent in all that is happening. Furthermore, I believe the Bible tells us we should pray for our enemies. So who is praying for Putin? Saul became Paul. Why couldn't Putin become a valiant Christian as well if that was God's will? We need to stop blaming and being blank canvases for the media to paint upon and get knowledge ourselves. How do we do this? Well, believe it or not, this conflict dates way back to at least the early 1900s. Research some history. Second, pray for the Holy Spirit to bring you discernment. And lastly, if you have personal contacts that you trust, ask for their eyewitness experiences. So I appreciate, Tanya, what you're saying. I completely agree with you. I can't tell if you're chastising me or not, uh, saying that it's completely wrong to simply pray for Ukraine because I have multiple times said we need to pray for the people in Russia and in Ukraine. I actually think that they are both terrible leaders over there, Zelensky and Putin. Putin's certainly no friend of regular human beings. He has no regard for life. And it appears to me that Zelensky isn't far behind him. But the fact of the matter, and this is what I said before, we should be able to agree that there is a terrible humanitarian crisis unfolding in Ukraine and in Russia. And the United States has been helpful in sending aid over there to people who are suffering. And that has been the focus of my podcast. Several weeks ago, I had some people on who have family in Ukraine. There are quite a few people here in uh, the Slavic community that are very concerned about what's happening both in Russia and Ukraine. And I agree with you at that point for sure. We definitely need to see more people doing their research because you're right, this conflict's been going on for a very long time. An anonymous writer in Texas said, Heidi, how can I explain to our young children that some people don't believe in God, especially when that person is another parent who they love. Our kids ask their father to pray with them, but he constantly brushes it off and lacks the spirit himself. One of the things uh, that I love about this question is that your kids obviously love their dad and you love him too, which I think is really precious. We don't want this to come in between parents and their children because we're praying for the salvation, right, of the unbelieving parent. And uh, years ago, I had a really dear friend in my life and her husband wasn't saved and they had several kids together. And she said that she began reading verses to her children when they were very young about um, what it what God thinks about the world, that we know that God said, I love the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the message of the gospel. So maybe rather than asking your children to have their father pray with them, maybe if they're praying with you for their dad and for his salvation, that is a good place to start. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us understand that there is a God. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that moves in the hearts of men. And so I would be praying with your children that the Holy Spirit would move in the heart of your husband and that he would seek and become seek the Lord and become a Christian. And it's an amazing thing that uh, an opportunity that you're giving your kids to pray for their dad. Uh, Daryl from Arkansas, do you have references, links, or organizations you recommend to teach someone to be a good school board member? We are a homeschool family, but I'm going to run for school board. Daryl, I love that you are going to do that. Place I would send you right off the bat is parents' rights in education. Uh, I have had the founder and executive director of that prod, uh, of that organization on my show several times. Uh, her name is Suzanne, and I will link back to that in the show notes today. Also, we have done a number of podcasts on this issue, and uh, I'll see if I can't link back to those today 
in the show notes as well. Nicole from Minnesota, how do you handle a teen who refuses to do their homework for the day? I took away a phone and electronics, but he's still refusing and being disrespectful. He is fully capable of completing the lessons. Uh, Okay, so I've raised a whole bunch of kids, right? And one of the most difficult things that you will ever have to do is try to convince a young teenager that it's important for them to do their homework. And honestly, sometimes I think, and uh, I went through this recently, the best way to handle is to let them suffer the consequences of their own decisions. So we had a a child several years ago who got uh, her license and she had a low enough GPA that I could not because, and it wasn't because she wasn't smart. It was because she wasn't finishing her schoolwork. Well, I'm not the mom who's going to not let you do your schoolwork. And so I said, this is, uh, you know, the result of this is that you have, I think it was like a 1.8. It was ridiculously low because she didn't turn her work in. And I said, if you want to drive and if you want to get a good student discount, you're going to have to finish your homework assignments, have to get them turned in. And we're going to have to see if we can't raise your GPA. I'm always telling parents, you know, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. And so what you want to do is give them just enough of a of a push in the right direction so that they feel the consequences of their own actions. Obviously, if you've got a child, when you say teenager, I don't know if you're talking about a 17-year-old or a 13-year-old. Huge difference, of course, between a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old. If it's a 13-year-old, uh, I'd be like, ooh, bye-bye, you just lost your phone. I mean, I would I would be taking away privileges Uh, and adding more responsibilities around the house and other areas until I got that child's attention. Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about the importance of shepherding the hearts of our children. And in truth, if we're not doing that, if you're not addressing the heart issues with your children uh, and you're continuing to push forward on the academics, you're missing the most important thing. So start there, get to the heart of your child. I I mean, I would encourage you, if if it's this bad, Take some time off from school and work on the relationship with your child. Maybe you've got to, maybe that child's going to be doing yard work with you. Maybe they're going to be helping you plan meals, just engaging more in family life. So rather than letting that teenager go sulk in their room or be disrespectful and not do their work, I would be engaging them even more. Is it exhausting? Yes, it is. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Hang in there. Anonymous from Tennessee. Are there any tips or resources to help me teach my middle school daughter with sensory processing disorder when I have it too and I am having trouble with her subjects? My mother-in-law used to homeschool, but we just moved far away and now I am her teacher and I am struggling. So um, I'm really glad to hear from you. We've done a couple of shows on this. I'm going to see if I can bring my friend Marianne back on the show. But in the meantime, I will go ahead and link back to that podcast that I did. Um, She has incredible resources for parents who are educating kids that are special needs, particularly as it relates uh, to reading. But I just want to encourage you, reach out and get help. It's not hard to find people on the internet who are going to be in your exact same situation. Don't give up. You can do this. You're going to learn an awful lot about yourself in the process. And I will link back to some helpful things in the show notes for you today. If you guys want to access the show notes, it's HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. That is where you'll find the show notes for any show that I'm doing on any given day. Heidi, I love listening to your podcast. This is Jess from Florida. You are the national treasure. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate that. Since you have been a speaker for much of your life, could you give us any tips for speaking while avoiding anxiety? Any oils that specifically help? So yes, 
So I've talked about this for a long, long time. Uh, the struggle that I had with anxiety, I've actually not been on medication for that for a very long time because I discovered that there were lots of different ways to treat anxiety naturally. Uh, one of my favorite oils for it is frankincense. I've I've talked about this a lot. I'm going to link back to those things in the show notes today. So there should be several podcasts for you to access. Also, um, you can check out my oily community. I'll link back to that in the show notes today. We have an amazing team over at Young Living. We've been working together with those guys for a very long time. And we're dealing with all kinds of issues, particularly as it relates to hormones and emotions. Uh, and so uh, check it out at uh, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash oils, or you can go to The Busy Mom if that's easier, TheBusyMom.com forward slash oils. My journey with uh, anxiety and through anxiety uh, is well documented on the internet. I've written about it in my books, talked about it a whole bunch on my podcast. There are solutions. You can absolutely do it. I love it that um, that God calls people like Moses with a stuttering problem or like Heidi St. John with an anxiety issue to stand up in front of people and give uh, and give a, give a talk or teach on something because it forces you to rely on the Lord. And so um, I want to encourage you because you know, the tips that I would give you are the same things I've written in my books. And I would just tell you, you've got to know who you are. That's the most important thing. You are who God says you are. And so if God's given you a directive, if he's asked you to do something, your responsibility is pretty simple. It's obedience. And my grandma used to say to me, Heidi, you can do anything, just do it afraid. So uh, I don't I don't believe, and I loved, uh, you know, Pastor Rob McCoy saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, talking about the importance of getting out there and uh, living dangerously, right? Because until the Lord calls you home, what have you got to lose? Live dangerously. Do the thing that God asks you to do. Start the new business. Uh, start speaking in front of people. Run for school board. All of those things. Fear is this. Uh, is this has this amazing ability to cloud our judgment to keep us from fulfilling the destiny that God has for our lives. And yet the Bible speaks against it. Right? God did not give us a spirit of fear, but what did He give us instead? Power, love, and a sound mind. So you can do this, Jess. I'll link back to a bunch of stuff in the show notes for you today. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll answer a question from Catherine from Texas and Eric from Washington. We'll be right back. Thanks for coming back, you guys. Here is Catherine's question from Texas. She said, it seems more and more that we are under a constant state of surveillance with regard to our data. Phones, computers, quote, checking in online someplace, even in our church is common. Phones are connected to a billing zip code, among other things like purchase history. I know that there are very large companies who tout themselves as tech marketing experts that use this information to directly market, including our churches trying to market to the lost. Is this a conflict? Is it an invasion of privacy? Where are the boundaries? I want to follow Jesus' command to go and tell, but I worry we're being caught up in a lure of what technology can do and stepping on people's rights to do it. Thank you so much for your daily insight and wisdom. Uh, well, first of all, Catherine, thank you for the question. We talk about this a lot here at the Homeschool Resource Center because honestly, uh, I think this technology is here to say. I honestly do not think you can avoid it at this point. It is literally everywhere. So personally, you can avoid it by not engaging, right? So if you don't want an iPhone or you don't want a smartphone, you can certainly go back to phones that don't have that technology. But you're right. I mean, our zip codes are connected. Someone said, you know, the other day that they weren't going to participate in a survey because they didn't want to give anyone their information. And I politely but firmly said, I promise you, your information is already 
there. It is. It's already there. And so we have an opportunity to just be wise. Uh, certainly, you know, I had a, I answered a question. I think it might have been, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so that a mom said that she was getting um, terrible ads on her son's computer, right? Uh, basically ads for pornography. And I had to very gently say that those ads are coming up because there's a history of searching for pornography on your computer. And so uh, this stuff is everywhere and it, it you're you're absolutely being logged where you visit. Most of these websites now will tell you that they're using cookies. They want to find out about you. It's a massive multi-billion dollar industry. But when it comes to the church, obviously, as I would say to any private business, uh, if you're going to use people's information to market, you've got to talk to them first. And so that to me is just uh, common sense and it's caring for other people. But the boundaries have really been blurred and I don't think it has much to do with Jesus' command to go and tell. Don't be stressed out about what's happening with uh, with regard to uh, what you see happening with the collection of your data unless, I'm, and I'm talking about your receipts, I'm talking about uh, you know where you get your groceries. If you've got a phone number that you give into your grocery store, I promise you they are keeping track of what you buy and what your family is interested in because they want to use it for marketing purposes. Completely different from something like social emotional learning where your child's uh, data is being mined so that they can lump your child into a particular category. That really bothers me. That is where I think we're stepping over the line. Eric from Washington Heidi, I am the lead pastor at Courageous Generation Church. Many churches in my area are teaching critical race theory under the guise of racial reconciliation. Should I confront the pastors about it? I'm new to the area and don't have relationships at this point. Well, uh, confrontation is always about relationship, uh, Eric. I'm so impressed that you are noticing that this is happening. You just heard my friend, Pastor John, on the show a few days ago, and he was talking openly about critical race theory. This absolutely has no place in our churches. It is dangerous to the community of Christ. It is dangerous to us uh, in our relationships in order to heal uh, racially from things that have been happened in the past. And again, all all the critical race theory is doing, and I know that you know this, is creating a divide where there doesn't need to be one. So in answer to your question about whether or not you should confront other pastors about it, I'd say get to know them, listen to what's happening, form those relationships. But the best place for you to start is by boldly proclaiming at your church that critical race theory is doing much more harm than it is doing good at all. In fact, it's not doing any good. Critical race theory is an evil ideology that's being pushed in our churches and in our schools. And you've got an opportunity to speak out from it at your platform and let the Lord do the rest. The Lord's going to tell you when it's time to confront those other teachers uh, of the word. All right, one more question, and then we're going to be done today. I really wanted to get to Julie's question. Julie from Texas. She said, hi, Heidi. We are a homeschool family and love listening to your podcast. On November 18th, I was involved in a car accident. I was 35 weeks pregnant. My uterus ruptured, and we lost our unborn daughter. We had prayed about this child. We wanted another child, but the timing wasn't ideal. My husband and I both felt the Lord telling us to trust him, and so we did. We still trust him, but we just don't understand. I ended up having to have a hysterectomy, so our hopes of a large family have been shattered also. I am worried because we haven't done much school with our other children, ages six and four, and now my kindergartner is fighting with me uh, with school when we try. Should I be concerned or just continue doing what we're doing and easing back into our homeschool days? 
all right, sweet mama. So I, I read your letter uh, last week and it just broke my heart. I'm uh, glad that I'm getting an opportunity to address it here today. The first thing uh, I want to say is I'm sorry for the loss of your child. It's a devastating to lose a baby uh, to miscarriage. It's devastating to lose a child to stillbirth. Obviously, what happened to you was trauma upon trauma. And so I'm sorry for that. And if you are listening to my show at all, you know that we have had uh, here at the Homeschool Resource Center quite a bit of um, anguish lately. One of our uh, one of our trusted and wonderful dads here at the center fell off of a ladder last week. Wonderful Christian man, wonderful marriage, incredible family. He fell off that ladder and broke his neck and passed away the following day. Uh, we lost one of the founders of the Homeschool Resource Center just a few weeks before that to a hemorrhagic stroke. And I think that when you're asking uh, why these things are happening and you're saying we trust the Lord, but we don't understand, my answer is always there are things that we will never understand until we get to heaven. There are things about my own life and my past. Uh, Jay and I lost a child to miscarriage many years ago, things that we will never understand. So we lean into what we do know for sure. And here's what we know for sure. God's heart is for you. He loves you. He loves you. And that little baby that you lost at 35 weeks is with the Lord. I really do believe that. And so when we come into situations where we don't understand, like the the loss of my friend Alan a few weeks ago, we're still grieving uh, over that devastating loss. We don't understand, but you know what we do? We know that God's heart for us is good and we know that Alan is with the Lord. Those things we do know for sure. And so lean in to what you do know for sure. Uh, A long time ago, I had a a difficult pregnancy and subsequently followed by a very difficult birth. And I didn't get a lot of homeschooling done with my kids. We were living in Mount Vernon, Washington at the time. And I remember just thinking, great, you know, um, my kids are all screwed up because I haven't been doing as much school as I normally did. And you know what I saw the Lord do that year? I saw him work so powerfully in the lives of my kids. They actually did better academically that year than almost any other year that we had homeschooled them when I had been intentional and working really hard. The Lord is gonna make up for the things that you are not able to do, whether it's through processing grief or just trying to help your children heal or trying to help your body and your mind heal. The Lord's gonna do it. And also I'm gonna point out the obvious to you. Your children are very, very young. So six and four, uh, your kindergartner giving you giving you trouble. Maybe focus less on school and take a walk with your kids. Maybe make cookies with them. Uh, lots of things that you can do with your kids right now to sort of help them heal from this and continue to build that emotional uh, relationship, that bond with your children. And one other thing, uh, I'm going to just encourage you with you know the the hopes that you had uh, of having a large family that you said had been shattered. I would just encourage you, give those to the Lord. It may be that God's going to write a different story with your family. Maybe God has adoption for you in mind. This is something for you to be praying about with your husband and really seeking the Lord. And I know because I've seen God do this in my life, Julie, and I know he'll do it in yours. As you continue to lean and trust him, you can take your your heartache, take your anger uh, to the Lord. He understands, he can handle it. You know, uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is this this father, you know, saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Every one of us struggles with that. Take those things to the Lord. He understands. Let him minister to your heart and then continue just to walk this thing out. And I promise you, as sure as I'm sitting here, God has a story of healing in mind for your family. That's who he is. He is 
the healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, the healer. So hang in there, Julie. I'm praying for you. I appreciate you writing in. That's all I've got time for today. If you would like your question answered here at the podcast, just shoot that to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. And again, I hope you guys are enjoying the fact if you're watching this on video that I'm wearing my awesome new shirt. I tested positive for freedom. And if you will go to Heidi St. John for Congress, you can find out how to get that shirt. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you back tomorrow with my special guest, Ken Ham, at the intersection of faith and culture. Thank you.